Hello and welcome to Connor's Crash Course, where we talk about and discuss all types of different topics. I'm your host, Connor, and today we're going to talk about amusement parks. Amusement parks are something that most people have been to in their lifetime. From roller coasters to bumper cars to even Ferris wheels, amusement parks have something for everyone. Whether it is the thrill of speeding drops and the wind in your hair, or the jolt of excitement felt when two bumper cars collide, most people can agree that amusement parks are a blast. Humans have, for centuries, wanted a thrill, something to entertain them, and amusement park rides are no different. And while we could talk about the psychology behind these rides, the real topic of the day is the science behind them. Many people wonder what causes the feeling of weightlessness in their stomachs, and why they feel lighter at the top of the Ferris wheel. And honestly, there's one simple answer. Physics! While physics and the concepts derived from them can be scary, the stuff we're discussing today isn't too complex, and by the end of today's episode, you too will understand these topics just as well as I do. So, sit back and relax as we dive deep into the complexities of this amusing science. Now, before we get into the science behind roller coasters, bumper cars, ferris wheels, log flumes, and carousels, I think that it is important to first learn about the history behind them. While I know that almost everyone on planet Earth has been to an amusement park or fair of some sort, I doubt that many people actually know much about their history. According to Shante Reedan, a writer for the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line's website, the ancestors of theme parks popped up in Europe just before the Renaissance era, which took place from the 1300s to the 1600s. These theme festivals had little games scattered about, such as darts and javelin hurling, somewhat similar to the game booths scattered around theme parks today. On top of that, the first archaic version of a carousel appeared here as well. From there, the idea of themed festivals evolved into something that was known as pleasure gardens. These gardens started to pop up in both Europe and the United States as middle-class citizens wanted a way to spend their money and be entertained. The gardens would host a mix of activities to do and watch, such as live music, acrobatics, fireworks, and once again, carousels. But as time went on, the demand for more intense and sophisticated rides increased, leading to the creation of the idea of amusement parks. This then led to some of the most famous ones being created, such as Coney Island, Santa Claus Land, Disneyland, and Six Flags, at least according to Arcadia Publishing. Today, some of those parks still play an important role in keeping children and families entertained. Truly, it shows how important amusement parks and entertainment are to us, considering the idea behind it has been around for so long. Since they have existed for so long, architects have come close to perfecting the most entertaining and safe roller coasters, all because of their understanding of physics. Now, the first amusement park ride we're going to cover today is roller coasters, arguably one of the most iconic amusement park rides there is. The ride itself has been around since 1884, and at that time it had a maximum speed of 6 miles per hour, at least according to History.com. Today, roller coasters are in almost every amusement park, and you go up to 149 miles per hour. So what changed? Well, the amount of funding going towards building roller coasters increased, and the material used to build them improved as well. But the biggest change was in the architect's understanding of how they function. Roller coasters, on a basic level, are little more than a sled with wheels, at least according to Gale Researching. The main powers behind roller coasters are gravity, potential energy, and kinetic energy, just like when you sled down a hill. 
When you go sledding, you have to get somewhere high up so that you're able to move. If you just tried plopping down a sled anywhere and sitting on it, you wouldn't go anywhere. You need something to push you or to cause you to move, which is why you need a hill or a slope surface to sled. This is described in Newton's first law of motion, which states that an object will stay in place unless another force acts upon it, according to researcher Denna Harshbarger. Roller coasters are the same way. At the start of a roller coaster, the cart will move up the first hill by way of a conveyor belt. This allows the roller coaster to gain potential energy, which is a type of energy that is stored until a force acts upon it. Once it makes it to the top of the hill, the cart starts to tip off the peak, and the pull of gravity forces it downwards. This is when all that potential energy gets transferred into kinetic energy, which is any energy that involves the movement of something. Due to this, it is important to understand that the first hill must always be the highest, and each subsequent hill cannot exceed the height of the one before it if the car is to successfully go over the peak, at least according to Gale researching once again. On top of that, some of that energy is converted into heat and sound due to the friction that is created between the wheels and the track, and once again according to Gale researching, which leads directly into Newton's third law of motion. According to researcher Denna Harshbarger, the third law states that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Basically, whatever you put in is equal to whatever you get out. Think of it like a machine that cuts wood. If you put a log into the machine, what comes out the other end is planks and some sawdust. In this analogy, the same amount of wood you put in is what came out, but it is just in a different form, that being both the sawdust, which represents heat and sound, and the planks, which represent the actual energy that the roller coaster is using. Every time you put something in, the same amount comes out the other end, in some way or form. Those ideas are the basis for every roller coaster. In conclusion, roller coasters are sleds that are able to move because of the force of gravity changing its potential energy, created from scaling its first hill, to kinetic energy. However, there are a few other things that need to be accounted for as well. For starters, the ride can start in a number of different ways. In the beginning, I mentioned a conveyor belt system, but according to Gale researching, a roller coaster can be started due to magnetic accelerators and compressed air launchers as well. On top of that, throughout roller coasters, there can be accelerator strips that give the roller coasters even more energy with which to move with. Then, of course, there is the material the roller coasters are made out of, the two most common ones being wood and steel. According to Gale researching, wood is one of the oldest materials used to build roller coasters, and while they are reliable and safe to use, steel is better because it is able to be shaped more easily, as well as being much stronger than wood. With steel, architects can build loops, corkscrews, and other fun features into the roller coasters. Next, we have jerk. According to Chris Rutledge, jerk is one of the most important things to consider when designing a roller coaster, because too much of it can be unsafe for riders. According to Gale Researching, jerk is the rate of change in acceleration, and acceleration is the conversion of potential energy to kinetic energy, which is what we've been talking about this entire time. An easier way to think about jerk is your body wanting to keep moving in the same direction it was moving originally before the change in direction occurred. If you're in a car and it takes a very fast, sharp turn, what happens? Well, your body gets pushed against the opposite wall of the car. This is because the car you are in suddenly changing directions forces you to change your direction as well, which is seen by you hitting the inside of your car. Now, if the jerker change in acceleration is too high, a person can black out or die, at least according to Bill Robertson, a researcher at Gale, which is why it is such an important factor to take note of. On top of that, we have to worry about g-force. On a basic level, g-force is the difference between the speed of an object you are in and the force of gravity, according to Michael Allen, a researcher at physicsworld.com. This is why you feel weightless as you speed down the first hill of a roller coaster. Basically, the acceleration of a roller coaster is faster than the force of gravity, 
so your body is only experiencing the force of gravity. Since there is no other force acting upon your body, you feel weightless. On the other hand, as you move up a hill, you feel heavier because you are moving at a rate slower than the force of gravity. So the gravity is pulling you down faster than the cart is taking you up. This causes you to feel heavier since your body is getting pushed against the cart. While I know that is a lot to take in, the basic gist of it is as you move down very quickly you feel weightless, and as you move up quickly you feel heavier. However, too much g-force can be deadly to a human. But according to Bill Robertson, the bottom line is that it is unlikely an amusement park ride can exert dangerous g-forces without falling apart structurally. Overall, that is everything you need to know about the physics of a roller coaster, from Newton's laws to jerks. But we aren't done yet, because up next, we need to talk about bumper cars. According to Arthur Levine, writer for the USA Today News, the bumper cars we know today have been around since the 1920s and have been a popular attraction ever since. It has been a way for families to get out anger and a safe and enjoyable way, almost like rage rooms nowadays. And while they may not be as complex as roller coasters, bumper cars still have a lot of physics behind them. First off though, how are they powered? Well, there are three main ways in which the rammable cars are powered. According to Beston Bumper Cars, they either have conductive ceilings and floors, along with a long metal rod sticking out of the back of the car to connect the two, a conductive floor made up of positive and negative strips, or by using batteries. The most common type used in amusement parks, though, are conductive ceilings and floors, because it's the most cost-effective form for them. While today we aren't getting into electricity and the science behind that, it is still important to understand how, on a basic level, something works. But now it is on to the main event, the physics. Bumper cars are similar to that of a roller coaster, in the fact that it also uses Newton's laws of motion. Of course it uses Newton's first law in the sense that without a force, in this case electricity, the bumper car wouldn't move. It also uses his second law of motion as well. According to Denna Harshbarger, his second law states that the more mass an object has, the stronger the impact of that object is going to be. Basically, when a bumper car with an adult in it collides with a bumper car with a child in it, the child is going to be launched back more than the adult, assuming that they are traveling the same speed. This is because the car with the adult in it has more mass or weight, so it takes a lot more force to push them back. Finally, there is Newton's third law. Once again, this law states that every force has an equal and opposite reaction which in this case is felt by the rider when they collide with another car. This reaction of forces is called a jolt, and while normal collisions can be dangerous, bumper cars are designed specifically so that they aren't. This is due to the rubber lining surrounding the bottom of the car. This rubber, while looking super cool, also forces the jolt to be spread out throughout the car and your body, and for the impact between the two cars to take longer to get to you, making the collision safer overall, at least according to amusementparkphysics.com. Collisions are mainly dangerous if the impact of it happens instantly and are focused on one point because the more pressure put on one point, the more likely it is to break. An example of this is seen with a piece of wood. If you bend both ends of a wood plank really quickly, the board is going to snap because the pressure or forces build up in the middle, while the slower you bend it, the longer it is going to take to break because the forces build up less rapidly. Now, encompassed into those laws is momentum, which is the force an object is carrying as it moves. It is mainly determined by the weight of the object and the speed at which the object is moving, so the higher the mass or speed, the greater its force, which is basically what Newton's second law describes, at least according to Carly Hallman, writer for TitleMax.com. This then leads directly into his third law, which talks about how every force has an equal force that is put out of it, which is why the heavier the bumper car, the bigger the jolt or bounce is going to be. 
So, overall, Newton's laws once again play a large role in the workings of amusement park rides, but how much do they affect the next ride we are going to talk about? Those being Ferris wheels. According to Marco Domlia, a research intern at the Chicago Architecture Center, the first real Ferris wheel was made during the 1893 Chicago World Fair, and ever since then it has been creating spectacular views and haunting any students taking precalculus. But what types of science goes into creating such an incredible ride? Well, once again, Newton's first and third laws both play a part in creating its main feature, that being spinning. The spinning of the Ferris wheel is caused by a series of axes, gears, and motors, at least according to the observationwheeldirectory.com. These parts give the Ferris wheel the energy and the electricity it needs to spin upwards, while gravity helps pull the wheel back down. The next big portion of the ride is its seating. Because the seats are connected at the top and are attached to the outer rim of the wheel, they're able to sway and pivot, at least according to realworldphysics.com. This free mobility and the force of gravity is why they are always hanging downwards. Now you may have noticed the weird phenomenon of feeling lighter when you're at the top of the Ferris wheel and feeling heavier when you're at the bottom. This strange occurrence is actually caused by a physics idea known as centripetal acceleration and centripetal force. While I have to admit it does sound scary, the idea behind it isn't that bad. The idea behind it is that at all times the center of the wheel is also applying a force to your body, almost in a sense like a second gravity, albeit one that is much weaker. This is implied in order to help keep the wheel spinning, and the movement that is caused by that force is known as centripetal acceleration, at least according to Derva Dave, the writer for LambdaGeeks.com. According to RealWorldPhysics.com, centripetal acceleration is driven by a few factors, one of them being rotation rate, which is why the wheel has to turn so slowly. If it went extremely fast, the wheel would break apart and fling the riders from their seats. When you're at the top, the forces of the wheel is pulling you down as well, so gravity has a weaker pull on you because it has an additional force added to it, according to realworldphysics.com. Think of it like a person holding up a wall from falling. When they are on their own, they have to use a lot more strength to keep it up, but if someone else comes in to help them, they don't have to use as much as their own strength to hold it up. Basically, they can rely on the other person's strength as well to get the job done. This idea is the same when you're at the bottom. When you are here, the wheel is drawing you towards its center, which is now directly above you, according to realworldphysics.com. Because of this, gravity has to pull down on you more in order to keep the forces balanced. Think of the same analogy with the guy holding up the wall again. If someone starts to push the wall down while they are trying to hold it up, they are going to have to use more of their own strength to hold it up. That is the basis behind centripetal forces. Now, according to realworldphysics.com, in reality, the rate of gravity never changes from 9.8 meters per second. But according to Newton's second law, forces can combine leading to what we feel being different. After such a hard topic, we are going to move on to something much more similar to that of roller coasters, which is log flumes. The idea behind log flumes has been around since the late 1800s. After the gold rush of 1848, many people had to find jobs in new industries. One such industry was lumber. But because of California's steep terrain, it was hard for people to transport the wood back and forth, so the idea of the log flume was made, at least according to Jake Goldberg, a writer for Attraction Magazine. From there, the idea continued to be used until new technology came along, making it obsolete. However, that wasn't the end for log flumes, as an engineering company soon used the idea to build the first ever log flume ride in Six Flags, Texas in 1963, at least according to Jake Goldberg. From then on, it has been a staple of amusement parks ever since. While the use of log flumes has changed over the years, the science behind it hasn't. Really, compared to all the other amusement park rides, how it works is pretty simple. According to Russell Meyer, a writer for Theme Park Insider, the way the passengers and log move is via water getting pushed out of pumps placed around the ride. 
This, of course, involves all of Newton's laws. His first law is used due to the water being the force which causes the vehicle to move along. His second law is used due to the fact that it takes more water to move vehicles with more people in it. And finally, his third law is used due to the fact that the force of the water has the equal and opposite reaction of causing the boat to move. The only other thing helping the ride along are conveyor belts, which help the vehicle get up tall hills in order to prepare its riders for a big drop, almost like what a roller coaster does at the beginning of a ride, once again according to Russell Meyer. Then the vehicle and riders move down the hill because of gravity. That is how log flume rides work on a basic level. Compared to all the other ones, it isn't as complicated and uses many of the same techniques roller coasters use, like gravity. Now before this ride comes to an end, we need to talk about one more common amusement park ride, those being carousels. According to Kat Eschner, a writer for the Smithsonian Magazine, the idea behind the carousel has been around since the 12th century and acted as a training game for warriors. But it wasn't until 1861, with the first steam-powered carousel, that the device became what we know today. An English man named Thomas Bradshaw created the first such ride. It had a lasting impact on amusement parks, considering that it is still around today. Nowadays, carousels are powered by electric motors that cause a series of pulleys and gears to turn, at least according to the history of carousels.com. Sometimes these motors also power the horses the people are riding on, making them move up and down. The science behind it is pretty similar to that of a Ferris wheel. Once again, Newton's three laws of motion apply to this, just like they do in almost everything in our daily lives. However, since we have gone over this so many times before, I don't think there is reason to bring it up again. The other physics topic that carousels use are centripetal and centrifugal forces. We have already covered how centripetal forces are forces that keep an object spinning around a common center, but we haven't mentioned centrifugal forces. Centrifugal forces are forces that compel objects around a center to move farther away from it. According to the Home Science Tools Research Center, if the carousel starts moving really fast, centrifugal forces, or centerfering forces, take over and break the hold the platform or the centripetal forces had on its riders. The riders would then fly off due to this, which is why it is important for carousels to go slow. As you have heard, science is an extremely important aspect to amusement park rides and the safety of the riders, but those concepts and ideas also play a large role in our daily lives as well. Almost every day you are experiencing all of these ideas, even if you don't realize it. First off are Newton's laws. His first law is most commonly seen in the braking and starting of a car. When a person steps on the acceleration pedal of a car, suddenly their body will be pulled back, moving only because the car is forcing them to. His second law is seen everywhere as well. When you see people walking, normally the people that don't weigh very much move faster than those that weigh more. This is due to them needing less force to move forward, which is seen in Newton's second law. Finally, his third law is seen in walking. When you walk, you make contact with the ground and push off of it. In this situation, you are putting force on the ground, and in return, you are able to move forward. This is an example of a force having an equal and opposite reaction, which is described in Newton's third law. Next, we have gravity, which of course is important to everyday life, considering without it, we'd all be flying off into space. It is the one thing that is holding us down to Earth. Then, we have g-forces, which we experience all the time. For example, when you sneeze, you are experiencing 3 g's of acceleration, and when you cough, you are experiencing 3.5 g's, at least according to Michael Anisimo, a writer for allthescience.org. A roller coaster, on the other hand, normally exerts 3 g's as well. Now, since they happen so quickly, it doesn't do our body any harm, but it still occurs and affects our lives. Acceleration also affects our lives every day. For example, anytime we use a car, it is using acceleration, and every time we walk, we technically have an acceleration as well.
we also need to talk about collisions. This also fits in the same category as Newton's third law of motion, considering a collision is when two objects hit each other, at least according to Britannica, and his law states that when two things hit each other, normally one of them is launched back. So when an object hits the floor, that is considered a collision, once again according to Britannica. On top of that, so is walking, because your foot is always making contact with the ground. Finally, we have centripetal forces and centripetal acceleration. While they aren't as apparent in our lives, they do help keep everyone on Earth and help keep the world spinning. So we don't see it very often in person, it is helping you live your life by allowing you to stay on this planet. And that just about covers everything. Overall, physics play a vital role in the fun stuff of our world such as with roller coasters and ferris wheels, but at the same time are extremely important to our day-to-day -day lives as they help keep the world spinning and our feet on the ground. Science is everywhere in our world, and most of the time people don't notice it, but without it our world would be a lot more confusing. So the next time you're riding a roller coaster, remember that it is all safe thanks to the ideas of science. And that brings us to the end of the second episode of Connor's Crash Course. Thank you all for listening, and hopefully you learned something new today. Once again, I'm Connor, and I will see you all later. <laughs>